Thank you for joining the Relief from Grief podcast by Mrs. Miriam Ribiat and Hevra Lomde Mishnah. Our goal is to help you find the chizik you may need and the comfort of knowing that you are not alone. To sponsor an episode, visit hevralomdemishnah.org forward slash podcast and bring comfort to listeners like you. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me here today on the Relief from Grief podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored Ben Yehuda, and we do offer sponsorship opportunities. You could get in touch with me if you'd be interested, emrabiet at chavalomdemishnah.org, or you could go to the website, chavalomdemishnah.org. So today, I am very excited to introduce Mrs. Robin Meyerson, who is West Coast Director of NASC, which is the National Association of Chavar Kadisha. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so this is very exciting because we're talking about something today that's a little different than what we talked about in the past. Robin deals a lot with cremations and, you know, from people that are dealing with relatives that wanted to be cremated. And we're going to hear from her all about the this cremation thing that is too much in the Jewish world, unfortunately. So I guess, where should we start from? I guess if you could tell us how cremation really impacts the from community. So actually, I didn't plan on doing this type of work to help people. And this is a a Hesed responsibility that I've taken on myself because of the miracles that I've experienced in my own personal life. And so I'm on call 24-6 to help people across the globe. It's not just in the United States. And I, I never thought I would be involved with death and dying and burial versus cremation, but it's really quite a crisis. Every 16 minutes in the United States, a Jew is cremated. That's every 16 minutes, which is 30,000 Jewish neshamas, Jewish bodies every single year. So it's an absolute crisis. So I got involved with this because of a miracle story that happened in my life. And so since, since that happened, I've created a website, brochures, flyers, anything at all possible to be able to help the Jewish people, both to help families and to help people who just don't know anything about this. So a lot of people just think that this is the way to go. It's in the last maybe 40 years that it's become a trend um, and more so in the last 20 years, it's become very much of a trend where you actually have three generations now. You'll have a grandparent, parents and children choosing cremation And people say, oh, well, this doesn't affect the from community. And I'm like, absolutely, it does. Because whenever a Jew is cremated, it affects all of us because we're all one. We're really all one. And so when this hurts, this hurts terribly all of us together. So that's why I work so hard at it. And actually, I like to give people my cell phone at the beginning and at the end, because if anybody has a crisis in their family or a friend or a neighbor, Um, You know, this is a hard topic to discuss. So I like to share my cell phone with people. It's 602-469-1606. And I'm on call by text, WhatsApp, and phone 24 by 6. Oh, my goodness. You're amazing. (laughs) Why did the trend pick up over the past 20 years? So it kind of follows the same statistics as intermarriage. On the West Coast of the United States, there's about an 85% intermarriage rate. And so the cremation rate is about 85% on the West Coast. Across the United States, across the whole country, it's about 50%. And on the East Coast, it's a a little bit less than that. So 
it's picked up because of a lack of education. The Jewish people are assimilating and because the the communities have become, you know, as communities are insular, like the, the religious people are in just their own little world and the Jewish people who are secular are in their little world and there's less interaction. That's why it's picked up because the Jewish people are not doing enough to care for each other. I mean, we're doing a tremendous amount. We really, really are, but it's not enough. So that that's why we have this crisis that we have today. And also it's really just like, a lack of education. So whenever there's assimilation, it's because people just don't know. Uh, they don't. They haven't. They don't go to Jewish day school. They don't go to Jewish camp. And also because funeral homes and mortuaries and cemeteries are Jewish ones offer misinformation. So you'll have a Jewish cemetery that will bury ashes, which is not. It's not something we do. We just we don't bury ashes, and then you'll have a Jewish mortuary offer cremation services, which is not something we do. So the consumer, if you look at it from that perspective, is very very confused. They'll go to a Jewish mortuary with a very Jewish sounding name, and they're they are emotional. They've lost a loved one, and they're trying to decide what to do. And cremation can be a cheaper option. It's not always cheaper. But the cremation industry also has a very, very strong marketing muscle. And you'll see billboards, you'll see ads everywhere. When you turn 50 years old, the AARP, which is the Association of Retired Persons, everybody in America will get a letter from the Association of Retired Persons because they have everybody's data. And they'll send you a letter saying, hmm, time to think about your end of life. Would you like to be cremated? Wow. So you get involved with from people that call you about not from relatives or you get involved with not from people in general that you find out are being cremated? Both. So I have a case going on right now and it's international. So I have a from family in New York and they have relatives. Some of them are religious and some are not in the United Kingdom. And so it's international. So the family wants to bury their loved one. and. So now we're just trying to figure out how to make this happen. In England, the cremation rate is 90%. In Europe, it's in different countries, it varies, but it, it could be 80 to 90%, depending on what country you're talking about. Of Jewish wow. people. Of Jewish people wow. we're talking about. So I'll get a phone call or an email or a text from a loved one who's just distraught because their loved one has passed away. They never thought that they were going to do a cremation. And, and so they need help. So the first thing I do with the person is I, I gather data, like, you know, okay, what's their name? Where are they located? And why? Why? The most important question is ask why? Why are they choosing cremation? Because once we know the why, then we can come up with some solutions to counteract the why, which is usually just completely, they just don't understand. I had a case a few weeks ago where someone said, my mother is afraid of going into the ground. That's why she chooses to be cremated. It's none of these reasons that I'm going to share with you make any sense whatsoever because we just live in a crazy world. So someone will say, I don't want to go in the ground. I'm scared of bugs. So, but we still have to address that. We have to, they're scared. So we very gently and lovingly say to them, look, going in the oven is way worse. And we explain what that means going into an oven and 
and burning for three hours and organs exploding. And then a, a, a worker taking a, a hammer and basically crushing the bones. Ew. It's absolutely horrific. And, and, you know, in World War II, there were loose bones, the back of the neck, those bones were left, you know, after World War II, there were so many bones and things could be buried. But in today's efficient industrialized cremation process, there's nothing, there's nothing left. There's no DNA left in this process. So people think, oh, well, I can take the ashes and I can bury them and that's, I'm going to give respect. But that's not true. Or I can take the ashes and scatter them in the ocean or the or the forest and I'm doing a hesed. But that's not true because there's no DNA in those ashes. A cohane can be around ashes. Now, a cohane cannot be around a deceased person, a nifter. So that, that tells you something right off the bat that if the ashes can go on someone's salad, okay, <laughs> because I, I, I know I'm being a little graphic here, but there's <laughs> nothing in the ashes. There's nothing. So it's just a marketing ploy, a plot, a scam. It's a total scam cremation because people say, oh, I'll collect the ashes, but they really don't. Nobody, hardly anybody keeps the ashes. And th- let's say you move to another house. Are you going to take the ashes with you, grandma with you? I thought they keep them in like these fancy jugs and they sit like centerpiece on the table. No, sometimes they sit on the centerpiece on a shelf. Yes. Sometimes, you know, even the industry now is taking ashes and turning them into necklaces and rings and, <laughs> and saying that, you know, we'll cremate your pet as well. And you can keep the ashes of your dog and your grandma, you know, you can wear them on a necklace, but it's really just a scam. It's a market marketing scam because there's no DNA in these ashes. So the first thing is when someone calls me, I say, why? So if they say they're scared to go into the ground, I explain to them that an oven is way worse. Then they might say something like, oh, I think it's better for the environment to be cremated. And then I explain to them, no, the environmental society totally agrees with Jewish burial because it's the most environmentally friendly thing to do. There's with no embalming, there's no chemicals, the body disintegrates in the earth, and there's no impact to the earth with a Jewish burial, no impact whatsoever. But with cremation, you're spewing all kinds of toxins into the air. I mean, if you think about it, are there crematoriums in your neighborhood? No, there's a reason they're in like very, you know, bad areas because or low income areas because they're disgusting and they put out smoke into the into the environment and in fact this is a very crazy thing but during covid when there were so many people passing away unfortunately the crematoriums were put on hold because in los angeles they were you know stop on hold because there was so much pollution going into the air quality oh my goodness wow so, so we first find out why, and then we counter it. And they, if they say there's not enough land in America, I'm like, what are you talking about? It, it would take 10,000 years just to bury 1%, 001% of the people there. You can drive up any highway, see, you know, you, there's so much land here. It's, it's a complete checker. It's not true at all that there's plenty of land to do it. And we've done burial for thousands of years. This is the way of the Jewish people. You know, you can go to Kevin Rachel, Capella. I just talked to a, a granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor and she's like, oh my gosh, I get to go visit my grandparents in a cemetery and my children get to visit their great grandparents in a cemetery because 
a cemetery is called a base Chaim, the land of the living, a base home of the living, base Chaim, because we believe that part of the soul remains there for eternity. And that's why we go visit. And that's why we don't, if you're a man, you don't put out your sitsits because it provides things to the soul because they can't do the mitzvahs anymore. So we have all kinds of sources that that say the soul is there. And we have other sources that say that if the body is not buried, the soul is in anguish forever, forever. So this is why it's so important to get involved and to talk to your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your relative, and put your burial wishes in writing right away. So one second. So when you speak to people, you speak to them about the aspect of the neshama and the neshama needing a place in the cemetery and not ashes and things like that? Yeah, it just depends on the conversation. but. I tell them everything. If let's say I get a phone call from a, like this, I have a recent case where I have a, a phone call from a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law is cremated and she wanted to stop it, but she couldn't stop it. So now she's trying to, her father-in-law wants to be buried. Both of them wanted to be buried, but the other son who's not religious cremated the mother. So we're trying to stop the father-in-law from being cremated. And so I tell them the truth. I tell them this, the Torah sources. If I'm talking to a religious person, I tell them the Torah sources. So I tell them how serious this is. I mean, they're calling me because they're in pain and they need help. And so then we we strategize on what's the best approach to take with the family. And we don't necessarily bring up religious reasons with the family. We bring up other reasons depending on what the why is. Like someone will say, Oh, I, I think it's like a waste of money to do a burial. Why, why should I do a waste of money with it? You know, <laughs> or it's too expensive. So we'll talk to the family about money and we'll say, you know, these are some options on how you can afford it. These are the services that we can assist with. I just had a, a case this week where it was international again. It was in New York, but then the family was in a South American country and they didn't have the money to bury and they didn't know the American way. So we arranged for the person to be buried in New York with a proper burial and we did some fundraising and people will gladly donate because he was going to be cremated otherwise. So when it depends, each case is very specific on what the answers are. If it's environment, if it's money, if it's tradition, just depends. And most people understand this, that in war, when there's a war going on, the army will go to great efforts to collect a soldier who's passed away in, on the field, you know, in the battle, they'll go to great efforts to go get that body and bury them, because that's the Jewish way. And it's the same thing now, we're in a battle, we'll go to great efforts to get the person and, and give them a proper Jewish burial with the dignity that they deserve. And I tell people also this, which helps a lot is that when a baby is born, the baby is gently washed and the baby is gently wrapped in a blankie and then given to the mother. Um, and that's the same cycle of life in the end of life. We gently wash the person from the Hebrew We gently wrap them in white shrouds and then we gently place them in the earth from which they came. And that's the cycle of life. And it's such dignity and so respectful, as opposed to a violent, violent, disgusting process in a cremation. And, you know, the Holocaust is not something that people care about so much anymore, really. It doesn't play, which is very, very sad. So I can bring it up. And I mentioned to a 96-year-old person, actually, a few weeks ago, how can you cremate yourself? That That's what people did in the Holocaust. And he said, well, what's that got to do with me? Really? 
He said that. He said, what's that got to do with me? So, and he's Jewish and he's a veteran. It just doesn't play. So it depends. Every conversation is very specific and I'm tra- I'm training. I've, it's not just me doing this. I mean, there's a few staff at the National Association of Hebrew Kaddish doing this. And I've trained hundreds, if not thousands of people how to do this, have these conversations. I've done training with rabbinic staff, rabbitsons, lay leaders, so that they have the right words to say. And then they can use the resources that we have. We have videos, brochures, you know, talking points, anything, anything at all. We have, we even have a video by the comedian Seinfeld. He's a funny little man and he has like a one minute little video because you never know. Sometimes humor is the approach to take. And and so I share that little video with people saying, you know, take a look at this. Seinfeld doesn't even want to be cremated, you know? So, so you have to take different approaches. And another approach we're taking in a case that I'm working on right now is the person wrote an email and he sent it to all his family members saying, I don't want to be cremated. I want to be buried. But I sent it to a few legal area people and they said, it's not going to hold up. Even an email is not going to hold up. So we're going to ask him to make a video. You know, when you say make a video and then like a little using your phone or whatever, make a little video saying, I want to be buried and then send that to your to friends, family, lawyers. Because <laughs> it's really, really terrible that we I mean, have you're to- saying that even though he's saying he wants to be buried, his children might say, well, too bad. We're cremating you anyways. That's correct. Because That's of the correct. environment and all those reasons. Because I don't want to, yeah, for whatever reason it could be, whatever, there's a variety of reasons. They, well, we buried, we cremated grandma, we cremated our great aunt, we cremated da 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 da. So let's cremate you too. Wow. So what's your success rate? So, Baruch Hashem, I just have to try, and the result is up to God. You know, that's what we believe. So I would say it's about, it's over, it's out of three, let's say out of three cases, I'll get, I'll get one and a half. I'll get one and a half out of three cases. So it's about between 35 to 40% of the time that it, it you know, we have a, a good success rate in the person. Well, what is half? What? What's a, what's a half a case? <laughs> I'm just trying to estimate exactly. So a half a case means that unfortunately the person chose, they, we couldn't convince them to be buried but the rest of the family now knows the importance of burial. And so there's a domino effect. In fact, I, I had a case in a state where, thank God, the person, we were able to convince the family and they chose to do a burial. And there were a slew of other aunts and uncles who had all chosen cremation. But because of this whole crisis situation and the dynamic of it, they all said at the Shiva, oh my gosh, the burial was so beautiful. Now we're all going to change our plans and do a burial. Wow. Yeah. So there's a ripple effect. You you don't always know. And I'll never know. There's a book that I helped publish called Burial or Cremation, The Jewish Way by Doran Kornbluth. And that book, I wrote the introduction and the ending. And that book, he's given speeches to, I think, over 10,000 people using that book. And we'll never know. But I know I know that the book has changed people's plans because I had a case with a 104-year-old man and his niece and nephew, he was going to be cremated. He was a secular Jew, very educated. And when he read the book, he still was, he was convinced, but not 100% convinced. It was about 97% convinced. And then there's a letter in the back of the book 
that I wrote, it says it's a dear dad letter and just pouring out my heart saying, you know, please be, be buried. And so I said to this niece and nephew, write a dear uncle letter and just pour your heart out. And so they did. And they asked me to look at it and edit it and whatever. And I'll do that for people. I'll help them write the letter. And, and so that letter was what pushed him over the edge and he chose to be buried and he was buried. Thank God. Wow. Wow. I so know that Hever Lamda Mishnah has used that book in the past. Do we have? Yes, absolutely. So Rabbi Haken's helped get it published. Yes, absolutely. So that's available through Hever Lamda Mishnah. And it goes through all the reasons why people are choosing cremation and to counteract all. It's the myths and the facts, the myths and the facts of cremation versus burial. And really goes through all the reasons. It's an excellent book. Everybody should take a look at it and share it. And also, there are several videos online which go through short videos, you know, maybe like two minute and nine minute videos that explain the burial versus cremation process. Now that's a that's a book that's myths and facts. But then there are there's another book that I did, which is miracle stories, which is miracle stories about the afterlife. And wow. and some people are more affected emotionally by stories. Right. Than by the myths and the facts. So when I give a presentation and I'm teaching people about burial versus cremation, yes, I definitely tell them the myths and the facts. But then I share stories because, you know, the afterlife is real. It's very, very real. And everybody, everybody in the part of their neshama knows it. They just know that this world is not the only world. Whether they deny it or not is another story. But, you know, there's, so much proof <laughs> and we don't even need proof, but there's so, there's so many stories in the Torah and the Gemara, but I have real life stories from today and I share those stories and it changes people. It changes people. They, they choose to do burial because of a story. Wow. Wow. So is this what you did with, with the chief rabbi of South Africa yesterday or the other day? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm involved with a lot of different projects. Baruch Hashem, I do spend a significant amount of my time with the living. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> so I work with the chief rabbi of South Africa and I'm responsible for Shabbos Project North America. So uh. which is a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> initiative where we're helping the the world learn more about Shabbos. So people, you know, just like cremation and burial, they don't know anything. Same with Shabbos. You know, I myself growing up, I'm a Baal Shuva, and I never heard of anything. I never heard of Shabbos. I never heard of kosher. I never heard of, I never heard of it. Okay. I never heard of it. Wow. So this is the world that we're living in. And it's not, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my parents' fault really either. It's just society. It's just that over generations, if you're not connected and if if someone doesn't reach out and it, thank God someone reached out to me, it's thank God. And they reached out to me and now I have five children, thank God, and three grandchildren. And now look at all the stuff that my family is doing in the Jewish community. So it it takes it's, we're all one. Like I said at the beginning, we're all one. We have to care for each other. And when someone doesn't do Shabbos or doesn't get buried or doesn't do, say, a bracha before they eat, you know, it hurts us. It hurts us all because we're all one. We're all one Jewish person, Jewish neshama. Wow. Wow. It's amazing what you do. It's, it's just, it's just incredible. You must feel so fulfilled. 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't have time. I just do, do, do. <laughs> no time to feel. <laughs> no, I do. I do. I, I thank God every single second of the day that that he trusts me to do his will. And I feel honored to be God's partner in helping the Jewish people. And I'm honored. There's a Tehillim that says, I, I think it's Tehillim 27, you know, thank God that you plucked me out of the garbage heap and placed me amongst the nobles. And I feel that way. And I just feel, thank God every day that I have this life and that I can talk to so many people and share the Torah's wisdom with so many people. I take women to Israel. I teach them Torah. I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I do, but when a burial case comes up, you know, you just got to take care of it. And Hashem, actually, it's above space and time. I don't know how to really explain this to you, but I have more hours in the day (laughs) somehow because Hashem... I'll give you an example. Erev Yontiv of Sokus, I had a burial case between Israel and a Western state in the United States. And we're going into Yontiv. And obviously the person in Israel was really going into Yontiv like much faster than me. And so we scrambled and we figured out that he was going to quickly give me power of attorney because of him going into Yontiv and I would take over. So I took over and Rosh Hashem, I was able to make all the arrangements, the flights and get this person buried with, it, it was kind of a secret mission. Several of my, my cases are secret missions because let's say families are fighting and we just get in there and we get the person buried fast. That's not illegal. Like you can't get into legal no, trouble. It's not, it's not illegal because we get everything in writing. We get the power of his attorney. We do everything that we need to do oh properly. God. Everything's done properly. So a lot of people don't realize that they have the legal authority to bury somebody. You know, in this case, it was a son. He had the legal authority to bury his mother, but he didn't realize, and there were cousins involved and the cousins thought that they had the authority. And so we, I took over and this is where the time thing came in is that I went into Yuntiv, thank God, knowing that this person was going to be properly buried, but I hadn't made, hadn't made Yuntiv. <laughs> I hadn't made my hala, I hadn't made my food, whatever. And all of a sudden I was making my hala, making my food. And I was like, how is this happening? that I have all this time, like time stretched, time totally stretched for me. And <laughs> I mean, I don't make Hala Erev Yantiv. I make it like, you know, a few days before, but it, it's above space and time. It's not normal. So yeah. So that's- Do you get cases like an, like an average of every day? No, it's not every day. And that's another thing that's really, I'm blessed. Thank God. I had a business trip to Israel with, with Aisha Torah, because I started Project Inspire Arizona and I was involved with the elite senior leadership meeting in, in Jerusalem for two and a half days in Jerusalem. And I do worry. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to get a call? I'm going to have to step out. But Hashem turns the faucet on and off based on my needs. And I'm not saying that to be (laughs) woo-woo. It's the total truth. I was in Jerusalem. I was able to take part in the strategic planning sessions and and absorb the content from Rav Berkowitz and and really make the most of that meeting. And then literally it ended, I think, Thursday afternoon. And boom, I got three cases on my phone. Wow. Yeah, it's the truth. So it's just the way the the divine divine practice works. It's incredible. Wow. If someone loses and their loved one is cremated, do they sit shiva? So I always tell people to ask their local Orthodox rabbi this question. Generally, the answer is no, 
you do not sit shiva, but you have to ask your own rabbi because the reasons vary. So for example, I had a case where a young man, totally secular young man, his father was cremated and he just, he just didn't know. Right. And so he started saying, starting saying Kaddish and because that he had heard about doing. And it's a beautiful story because after staying Kaddish and, and such, he became Balchuva. This was over, you know, a series of a few years, but so it depends on the situation. There's also, I had a case where a secular man was cremated and the Frum relatives wanted to say Kaddish and wanted for him. And the answer from the Rav was, yes, you can say it as long as it's a group situation. So there, you have to ask your local Orthodox rabbi on this situation because every case is specific to that. As far And Shiva, usually we don't sit Shiva on some, and we don't name babies after them. Either really? cremated because it's so rampant in our society, we have to do everything in our power to say don't cremate. So if we say to someone, Oh, yeah, you know, you can sit Shiva and yeah, you can say Kaddish. No, you can't sit Shiva. No, you can't say Kaddish if you cremate. That's wrong. We have Jewish rules, and the rules are you do a burial, then you say Kaddish, and then you say, you know, sit Shiva. That's why it's a nuanced answer because of the situation and the family members that are involved. And it, it could be that they do sit Shiva and they do say Kaddish. It just, it's very on a case by case situation. Wow. So if someone isn't sitting Shiva and the people don't know, they could totally be getting like, Shiva visitors while they're making supper and doing laundry. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, is that people who do cremation, they don't generally sit Shiva anyway. I mean, I had a case where a person, I mean, and this is very harsh. I had a person who went to Yad Vashem in Israel, went to Mount Herzl, you know, I was there. This person saw these places. And yet when the time came and her loved one passed away, the person chose to withdraw care and cremate the person because it's Yad Vashem and Mount Herzl are that that has nothing to do with me, (laughs) so to speak. And so there was no Shiva didn't even choose to sit Shiva or say Kaddish. Just, just no, no. Why? No, but she wasn't from. Right, right. Now the from person, I have from people whose loved ones are cremated and they don't sit Shiva either. That's what I'm saying. That's when people could, you know, show up to their house and they're, you know, feeding the baby. Like, yeah, yeah. It's very sad. It's very, very sad. But there are cases where a from person can sit Shiva. It just depends. What's terrible about it is that a case can take a long time. A case can take several weeks. And then let's say they turn out, they do get cremated. So that person, what is that person's status? That person, that from person's status is like, they're trying their best to get this person buried. And, you know, you don't do mitzvahs when you're, when you're known and when you're like in this in-between stage. Right. I was just about to ask you about that. Yeah. So they ha- you have to be in touch with, if you're from, you have to be one-on-one with your rabbi knowing every step of the way, what you can and can't do. Because I mean, I had a case where a daughter, her rabbi said to her, sit Shiva right now. And, and she did, she started sitting Shiva, but I was, I was still working the case. And while she was sitting Shiva, the person ended up being cremated, but you know, every case is, is different. Every case is different. That's so interesting because part of sitting Shiva is like sort of for the neshama also the different stages that the neshama is going through. So this person sat Shiva, but the neshama was like 
Not yeah, <laughs> not the, the Shema was suffering. So, I mean, I have a story. I can tell you this story. It's a crazy story. There was a rabbi who was asked to be a a moil for a first a bris and the first secular family and beautiful situation. He took care of it. And then a few months later, the father of the little baby came to him and said, you know, my father passed away and he was so moved by the bris ceremony that you did. Would you be willing to officiate at my father's memorial service? Whenever they use the word memorial service, that's a, that's a hint right there that it's not a funeral. So the rabbi looked into it and he said, well, where's the cemetery? Where's the funeral going to be? And he said, oh, we're going to do a cremation. And so he tried to convince the brother and sister to do a burial, but they they didn't listen. So he asked his rov if he could still speak at the memorial service. Now, the memorial service was while the nifter was in the morgue. He wasn't cremated yet at that moment. And so the rabbi started the, at the memorial service, you know, saying to Hillam and giving over some words. And while he was doing that, the lights in the living room started to flicker. So people started to get a little nervous, like what's going on with the lights in the living room flickering on and off, on and off. So the son went and checked the lights and everything was fine with the switch. And then the rabbi kept doing the service. But every time he spoke in Hebrew, the lights flickered. And, and so people started to get really nervous. And then there was a phone call and the son went and go, went to pick up the phone and there was nobody on the line and the caller ID was his father. So the rabbi stopped the memorial service and he called the brother and the sister together in another room. And he said, you know why this is happening, don't you? It's because your father's not buried. He he's trying to tell you he wants to be buried and not cremated. And so the son and the daughter were just, you know, as you can imagine, just freaked out completely. I mean, the son almost fainted when he saw the phone. So his father got a proper burial. So the neshama is very aware of what's going on from the time that neshama leaves the body when it passes away and goes, there's a state, there's stages of the neshama. The neshama at first is very kind of discombobulated and confused because it's been in its body for many, many years. And now it's in another reality, another world, right? And so it only gets the the neshama only gets peace once the body is actually in the ground and then it can go on its journey to Hashem and to the next stages. So when we sit Shiva, we are, yes, we are comforting the soul and we are comforting the mourners, the soul and the mourners. So in multiple Shiva homes, the soul is. And so that's why it's so devastating to to be cremated because the soul doesn't, and even of the whole body too, like we have to bury the whole body, not just part. Like I've had cases where people are like, well, I'll just donate my body to science. I'm like, no, you will not because they think that's a mitzvah. I'm like it's not a mitzvah. Your body's going to be chopped up and disrespected and then cremated. So we've, we've actually gotten bodies out of, you know, science labs and properly buried them and, Thank God, you know, a lot of times the family is fighting about what to do. And we just, we try to bring the peace between the family members and everybody, everybody feels better after a burial. Everybody, you know, they might be fighting in the beginning, but they all feel better after burial. And how do you know that? How do I know that? I get calls. I mean, I I got a call from a man who, this was also another like covert case 
and we buried the relative. And then I got a call, you know, many months later saying, you know, just want to let you know the peace. We made peace between my family members and they understand and thank God everything is, you know, we're, we're progressing in the right direction. I mean, I don't stay in touch with everybody. I mean, it's been hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. I don't stay in touch. I wish I could stay in touch with everybody, but there's what I get calls from people and even there's a sense of relief when someone is buried that they're like finally like put to bed and they're, they're where they need to be. And there's like a calmness, of course they're mourning and they're sad, but there's like a, there's like a, you really relief. You take a deep breath. It's like they're in their place. That's where they need to be. And, and the world is in order. And I really encourage everybody not to wait to have this conversation, you know, no matter if you're religious or not, you have to have this conversation. Everybody's going to die. You know, <laughs> it's like, they, you know, 50% of people don't have wills. They don't want to talk about it, about this. I mean, I even have lawyers who say, I don't have a will and I don't want to talk about this, but I say, yeah. fill out a burial form, make, you know, make your wishes known to everybody and don't wait get it in writing before there's a crisis, because it's way harder to deal with when there's a crisis. And let me just share with you one of the miracle stories that, that why I'm so involved with this, because I think people will have a better understanding when they hear the miracle story. So I was asked to be a part of the, the local Hebrew many years ago. And so I was involved preparing women, men take care of men and women take care of women. And I'm one of 18 first cousins. And it's just myself and my brother who, who married Jewish people. And then I have one other cousin who married a, a Jewish man. So there's only three of us out of the 18 who are not intermarried. And there are the next generation, there are Jewish people, but you know, if they're Jewish moms, but the majority is completely lost, completely wow. lost. But I stay in touch with all my family as much as I possibly can because, you know, I love them and they just don't know. They were just brought up like me. They didn't know anything. So so one day I, I was making my phone calls to my relatives and I called my Aunt Myra and I was just calling to say, hello, how are you? You know, that's, <laughs> you know, I love her just calling to say hello. And she said, are you calling because you heard the news? And I'm like, what news? And my Uncle Arnold had passed away that morning. And I didn't know. I just called and say hi. It was Shushan Purim, the day after Purim. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. When's the burial going to be? And she said, well, there isn't going to be one. We're not religious like you guys. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You have to bury my uncle. And it was like in the moment, I was totally shocked. And, you know, she was in shock too. And so I hung up the phone and I called my cousins um, who are just a little bit older than me. And I said, you've got to bury your dad. Like you can't, you can't cremate him and they didn't know what to do. I mean, they, they had no bris, no bar mitzvah, no bat mitzvah, no hopa, nothing. And so I was trying to convince them over and over and over again. And for two weeks, my uncle was in the crematorium. And the first miracle was that he wasn't touched because usually in these cremation places, they cut out the pacemaker, they cut out the titanium knees and artificial whatever the hip because they don't they don't want to ruin their machines. So the first miracle was he wasn't touched. So then I'm calling and calling and praying and I call the local cemetery and I give him a credit card and I had called Rabbi Hakins at Heverlumde Mission and I said this is the situation you, you we got to do something and he said okay so I gave him sedaka to Heverlumde Mission to have Mishnaya studied 
for my uncle. And I did that on a Tuesday. This was the second week. And I, I gave it on a Tuesday. And then I'm calling my cousins every day. And on Tuesday night, my uncle comes to my cousin in a dream and he says, get me out of here. And so I had been calling and she met with her brother and sister and was trying to decide what to do. And they were meeting in a restaurant and in the restaurant, there was a fireplace and she freaked out and ran out. And I called her the next day and I said, Valerie, what have you guys decided to do? It's almost two weeks. Your dad's in the crematorium. And she goes, okay, I agreed to do a burial. And I couldn't believe it. And I, I was actually in my car and I pulled over and I said, okay, you're going to sign the papers. And she goes, yes, I'm going to sign the papers. So the Jewish mortuary went to her house, brought the papers, brought her a, you know, a yard side candle, held her hand and walked her through the process. And it was a Friday. And then they went and they collected him out of the crematorium and brought him to a Jewish mortuary and he had a shomer and she actually lit Shabbos candles that Friday And then I flew into Las Vegas on the Monday and it was Rosh Hodesh Nisan and he died on Shushan Purim and Rosh Hodesh Nisan. And we had a proper Jewish burial. And at the cemetery, my aunt, my auntie Myra, she hugs me and she said, Robin, this is your calling. God is going to repay you. Now, my auntie Myra and all my relatives don't have any Jewish education. But that doesn't matter because they are as holy, as holy, as holy can be. And they have Jewish neshamas. And she was definitely a prophet at that moment. (laughs) (laughs) And she, anyway, I thought it was the weirdest thing that she should say. Fast forward, we go out to eat after the funeral because at a Jewish kosher restaurant, because they were hungry. And we sit down in the restaurant and I asked my cousin, like, what changed your mind? Like, what happened? And that's when she told me that her father came to her in the dream. And I'm like, when was that? And she said it was Tuesday night. And so I told her that I had given the tzedakah to Hevrolom de Mishnah for Mishnayas. And, you know, she didn't know what Mishnayas was. And I explained to her, if you rearrange the letters of Neshama and you get Mishnayas and it brings comfort to the soul. And so she starts crying and I'm crying in the restaurant because we realized, we both realized that this was an amazing, amazing miracle that we were both witnessing and and a part of. So then fast forward, it gets even better and it gets better every day is that a few months later, I live in Arizona and my family, my cousins live in, even though my uncle lived in Las Vegas, my cousins live in, in Colorado. So we were making a trip to Colorado and I wasn't feeling so good. And I was 44 at the time and I had four children and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling so nauseous. I don't really want to get in a car trip for 14 hours to Colorado. And I decided to take a pregnancy test and it came out pink (laughs) and I'm freaking out because I'm 44 at that time. And my husband's jumping for joy. And (laughs) I'm like, are you crazy? I'm going to have a baby at 45. And then it whooshed through my brain, like, you know, like it just like whooshed. And I said, I remembered my Auntie Myra and she said, this is your calling. God is going to repay you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is this what this means? And then, you know, as women do, you know, you count on your fingers, how many months to this baby's potentially going to come. And I realized I'm going to be due near Uncle Arnold's first yard site. And I was like, what? And so fast forward, I go for my pregnancy, you know, doctor appointments, and I'm very nervous. And she's like, everything's fine. Then I go for a bracha from a Rebbe. 
the Spinka Rebbe, and he said, you're fine. Sarah Menu was 90. You're going to be half her age. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and so now remember, my uncle was in the crematorium for two weeks, and I was two weeks late. And wow. I had my son born on the actual first yard site of my uncle on Shushampuram. Wow. Wow. So we, we named, named him, after yeah, we named, I called my, my cousins and I said, we're going to name him after your dad. We didn't know his Hebrew name, but his name was Arnold. So we called him Azriel and Mordechai because of being born on Shusham Purim. And I continue to get amazing messages from Hashem that it's the right thing. Always, always, because even just last year, Nachum Seltzer wrote an article in Indian magazine for Hamadia, and a reader read the story about my son and my uncle, and they did the gematria of my son's name. And Azriel Mordechai is the gematria of Mace Mitzvah. Are you serious? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Wow. So when I learned that last year, and my son is 11, my son is 11 now, I, you know, of course, I nearly fainted. And I called Rabbi Hakens and I called Rabbi Zone and I called my own personal rabbi. You know, I'm like, what does this mean? I'm so, I'm freaked out. But, but what it means is just another sign from Hashem that, you know, I had my husband and I had divine prophecy when we named our child Azriel Mordechai. And like, you know, this is what happens. And, and then this reader did the gematria. So, you know, it's just another sign that there is another world that we can have a relationship with our departed loved ones by doing mitzvahs in their merit, by doing Torah in their merit. And we must, must, must bury, we must bury the Jewish people and we must get involved. We must help our brothers and sisters who just don't know and educate them in a loving way because what, what they do hurts us and what we do hurts. We're all one. We're all one and we must help each other. It's really incredible. So being that this is like really mostly from audience that listens, I think that the the takeaway message is really that if they do have not from relatives when they're young and healthy, they should start bringing this up. And it's very uncomfortable, but I know you said you want to leave your cell phone number at the end. Maybe you should leave it again. So those that want to start talking to their relatives about it, they could call you if they need the support. Absolutely. So my cell phone is 602-469-1606. And the, the website that has educational materials is called Peaceful Return. If anybody has internet access, it's called Peaceful Return and org. And I'm happy to help anybody with this. And, you know, having a conversation is scary a little bit, but if we look in the Torah, Avraham Avinu bought Sarah Keva Machpela. And, you know, it starts with that. And so we all know the homage, so we can do it. We really, really can. Well, thank you so much. I think what you do is amazing. You're amazing. And even though I knew you before, I feel like I really got to know you. So I'm re-amazed. <laughs> Lovely to be here. Thank you so, so much. You have just listened to an episode by Mrs. Miriam Riviette. For more episodes or for additional information about future episodes, visit our website at www.chevralomdemishna.org or email mribiet at chevralomdemishna.org. To submit questions or comments for this speaker, to suggest another speaker who might be Mechazak others, or to sponsor a podcast, visit chevralomdemishna.org forward slash podcast.